With the NowJobs app, you're only three clicks away from a new student worker. Let us introduce you to the NowJobs app. That's extra help in just a few clicks. No fuss, no administration. Download it now. Available in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and soon in Germany. Now jobs. Get the job done. Ka-ching! Some podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese? They do it for global effing domination. That's right. Bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe. And they've drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before. Not safe for work in any language. The Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. Oh, yeah. Boris is apologizing. Germany is pandering. Belgium is rioting. Putin is invading. Crypto is tanking. And the queen is stripping. Just another week in Europe. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Blinken Cheeseman. This is Chad, back in the USSR, so wash. And Levin, learning Russian as we speak, von Ivanazen. <laughs> da, comrade. <laughs> On this week's episode, Total Jobs is leveling, the UK is piloting, and IKEA is vaccinating, or else. Let's do this. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. European. Talent. Intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group. Where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence with innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. What's up, my European friends? We have a mystery guest, as we always do. Let me introduce Colleen Stefanescu, CEO and co-founder at Dora, the recruitment robot by Happy Recruiter. Colleen, I assume you're calling in from Romania? Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for your invitation. So Colleen's working on his Russian as well, I assume. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Maybe we will need it. I hope not. Uh, they are very close to us. But uh, say we are in a good position right now. Well, hopefully they'll need chatbots when they get there. Yeah. Speaking of, there's been a lot of a lot of news in the, the chatbot space. Uh, you've probably heard Paradox is now a unicorn. Yep. Chad and I and uh, Levin have talked about a lot of other players getting gobbled up. What's sort of your take on the state of, of chatbots in recruitment? Um, basically, uh, our chatbot is only a part of the technology that we're doing. What we're doing with a chatbot is a kind of chit-chat between recruiters and candidates to have the options to discuss nonstop and find more things about the jobs from the candidate side and from the recruiter side, more things about the candidate. 
in a very automatic way to realize if it makes sense for both of them to continue to the human interview and to make, to see if uh, you know makes sense for them to shake hands and uh, get a job or get a, a, the new worker. So it's kind of the busy work. I mean, it's really trying to do the upfront work. Yes. Basically, it's doing the screening. It's uh, besides screening, is doing the searching for candidates. Basically, candidates are living everywhere on uh, you know, social media, in the company database. And uh, Dora is talking with every candidate. The conversation can be customized by, by the recruiter. And in this way, Dora will talk with your entire database, for instance, in uh, three days. And at the end, you realize which is available or not. Gotcha. Well, Colleen, we know a little bit about your company. Tell us a little bit about you and where they can find out more about the company. And then we'll get into some shout outs. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of the company and, and the CEO. I like whitewater kayaking. You're a huge Rambo fan, we learned in the green room, <laughs> which is great. Huge Rambo fan. And Chuck Norris, of course. Oh, Chuck. Yes. Delta Force. Let's get into some shout outs, shall we? You first, Cheeseman. All right. My shout out goes to automation. Huh? Stick with me here for a second. Okay. okay. Uh, news okay. out this week. Approximately 12 million jobs will be lost to automation across France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK. This speculation uh, in 2040, according to a recent report from Forrester. It's not all bad news, of course, because Europe is an old folks home. Europe's big five will lose. They'll lose 30 million fewer people of working age than in 2020. Additionally, green energy will help create 9 million new jobs in Europe's biggest economies by 2040, specifically in clean energy, clean buildings and smart cities and possibly the military if Putin has his way about it. Shout out for better or worse from me to automation. We're always talking about how robots are going to take jobs, but really they're just taking tasks. And maybe it's just, I mean, maybe it's the tasks that are leading up to taking the full job. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Do you think that this is kind of overplayed, at least at this point within the next five years, it's not going to, it's not going to impact that much or do you think it will? I mean, right now, everybody's complaining that there is not enough people in most yeah. of the sectors. Everybody's like complaining, complaining and, you know, starting to pay more and more to find the right people. And I think automation will somehow will balance this a bit. But I don't think that automation is there yet to replace like large number of people. We still need to work a lot to, to be there. And I think that's going to be in years from now on. But for the moment, all this job you know, that will be lost because of the automatization might be a good thing because, as I mentioned, companies don't have, doesn't have enough people, you know, in their companies all over Europe. We think, Levin, you think it's played out? It's not about making jobs disappear. It's about creating time. Mm -hmm. When people have more time, they can spend their time at things which are more interesting to them or even more interesting to the company than just the nitty gritty that automation can take over. Yeah, yeah. Well, this leads into my shout out. Exotech. Exotech. Sounds like a skeleton that you would wear during battle. Anyway, French startup Exotech has raised a 335 million Series D round and has reached a valuation of $2 billion. Exotech is a hardware and software solution that replaces some of the human warehouse tasks. Humans don't have to roam the warehouse anymore. They can focus on picking, packing, and making sure products go in and out of the warehouse. So this is, I think, one of the pieces where I think warehouses will be fully automated 
one day. And to be quite frank, who wants to work in a fucking warehouse anyway, right? I'm, I'm sorry. What was that valuation again? Two billion. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt there's going to be huge growth and automation of factories uh, led by Chad's favorite person, Jeff Bezos, who would prefer not to hire anybody if he yeah. could possibly get away with it. Yeah. Well, they're shitty jobs. I mean, who wants them anyway? Those poor people who have them, I'm afraid. Chad's so fancy with his real estate empire. Who wants those crappy <laughs> jobs? <laughs> I'm on a beach in Portugal. Fuck everybody else. Yeah. All right, Levin, you got a shout out? Yeah. My shout out goes to Microsoft for buying Activision Blizzard. And not just because I was a small shareholder and made some nice money, <laughs> but uh, also, also. Mostly because I feel it's it's really a smart move. I mean, you know, in, in 2016, I believe it was, they bought LinkedIn for $27 billion, yeah. And it was their entry to social media. And it gave them access to a few billion highly educated people. And then in 2018, they bought GitHub, enabling them to get in touch with millions of developers. And now they're buying one of the biggest game developers. Once again, giving them access to hundreds of million highly educated people. And I see a pattern there. This is not just about buying profitable companies. And by the way, they are definitely profitable, but it's about preparing for the metaverse. And also it's about buying influence. It's like mm. what buying a major newspaper used to be or television channels used to be a few years ago. So right. it's buying influence, which is a good shot. Did Levin say metaverse? He did. That's oh, right, yeah. baby. Well, it, and not to be about. not to be confused with the the whole Oculus metaverse thing, <laughs> but the metaverse already exists. The infrastructure, the platform, and in, in gaming, and I agree. I mean, this is this is just being able to tap into more of uh, those users, those individuals, and then prospectively, you know, open up that gaming platform uh, with retail and, and a bunch of different ways that you can actually buy shit more than just games, right? Definitely. And also about recruitment. I mean, we strongly believe at House of HR that uh, recruitment is going to be big in the near future when it's about recruitment. Oh, sorry, gaming is going to be big when you're yeah. talking about recruitment. So by the way, it's one of the Hot topics in Austin on May sixth on the e recruitment congress. Where yes. you will be. Say say more about that. What does that look like from your perspective? Like interviewing in the metaverse, gaming, like no, how no, no. it's about reaching out to people, getting in touch with people, trying to just get them to know you. And it's about credibility. We would like to have our own professional Esport brands, not a brand, but I mean a, a team. We would like to get involved. Like when we used to sponsor a soccer team, right? you call it football, soccer, um, or we call it football. Uh, it's the same thing. It's just, um, we call it a recruitment plaza. When young people gather together in such big masses, then that's where we need to be. So we are trying to find out the best way to get involved into the esports world and how to reach out to those people, how to get to know them, how to make them getting to know us and how to hire them. And we have a few specialists on the topic who are going to be in Austin. Um, the big four companies are, are already using it now to recruit people. Uh, we have a case from KPMG somewhere in the Nordics. And we will also show the finals of the League of Legends Benelux Cup, Ooh. which is sponsored by House of HR, by the way. Nice! Uh, and the people Good will job. be live on stage, five against five, playing the, the competition, the finals. So it's cool to get people 
to know uh, the HR people to know how this works and how they can use it for their own recruitment strategies. That's right, kids. So go to erecruitment-congress.com. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, be there. Yeah. All right. Now, RecFest, don't forget, a few months after you go to Belgium for the e-recruitment context, you got to go, you, you got to go to RecFest and that is happening July 7th at Nedworth Park, yes. baby, Nedworth Park. Joel and I are going to be on the Disrupt stage, emceeing there, making a bunch of noise, drinking beer, having a good time. We're really excited about it and looking forward to the Congress in Belgium in May and then finding ourselves at RecFest, Nebworth Park in the UK on the Disrupt stage. That's right. Chad and Cheese coming to Europe, baby. Well, basically, you're just going to do the same thing in uh, RecFest as you're going to do in Austin, like drinking <laughs> beer and disrupting people. That's our brand. <laughs> Break shit, drink too much, and talk shit. That's pretty yeah, much okay. what That's, we're going to do. That's why we're having you. Stop it! All right, guys, some big news out of the, out of the old country this week. All right, let's talk about Total Jobs. <laughs> a UK job board staple, announced in a blog post that it is now taking significant steps toward a single standard rate card that will apply to all client types with discounts driven by volume. This will create a level and efficient market in which customer types will no longer dictate the rate you pay. The industry, as you imagine, as you can imagine, sounded off with Stephen O'Dell sharing, quote, it appears that they are ending the historic discounts given to agencies compared to employers. Rather than charge employers less, they're charging agencies more. This will be a strategic decision to stop favoring agencies over employers and TA departments. All right, guys, what's going on here and who wins and who loses with Total Jobs pricing change? Basically, what they're doing is too little, too late. And it's something (laughs) that all the others have been doing for years. I mean, just to give a very practical example, Accent, one of our companies in Belgium, they have about 500 million euros revenue. They're big in Belgium. But one of our job boards we were using was Stepstone. But Stepstone doesn't want to sell for a price smaller than 120 euros per posting, which is totally ridiculous if you have 8,000 vacancies like we have. So Stepstone has been doing this for years. They didn't want the big agencies like us to pollute, as they call it, their own databases. So they just charged ridiculously high amounts of money to make us leave. And that's exactly what we did. And we've been working for years not to need them anymore. And now finally we succeeded. And now those people from Total Jobs say, hey, uh, you're going to pay more. We don't want them anymore. So this isn't going to make any difference at all. This seems so counterintuitive to me. Why were employers more expensive than agencies in the first place? It's volume. A hiring company has maybe 100. I'm sorry? You have built-in content with agencies, um, and they were probably some of the first that came on. You can get content anywhere. If something's fallen from the tree, you're going to grab that before you go climb the tree for the other stuff, right? Yeah, but that was like 10 years ago. And that's still prevalent today, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of the salespeople who made those deals are still with the company. Yeah, agencies are bringing volumes because they have projects all the time. So from different companies, but they are using employers' names all the time. But um, Levin mentioned uh, before about Accent. I will I will give you an example. 
for instance, what we, we realized during, uh, you know, these years that like big companies like Accent or GI or Manpower or these guys, they have in their database pretty much everybody. So pretty much they will be able to find in job boards or in social media even. So I think, uh, you know, agencies doesn't really need, you know, uh, you know, job boards if they are using their database at the full potential. Yeah, I agree. But to me, if you think about it, indeed, they totally screwed staffing, pulled all of their content out of the organic, and yet they saw revenue raise from staffing companies. So as we talk about, well, staffing companies don't need them anymore, in the US at least, they're seeing a rise in revenue on sites like Indeed who were screwing over agencies. So I mean, I'm not really sure where this is going. Yeah, and this has been a trend for a while, Chad. I mean, direct employers, right? Like one of the appeals to that was it's only employers. It's no staffing uh, staffing jobs, et cetera. So this has been a trend that's happening for a while. I think in the UK, it's sort of unique because they rely so much on staffing companies. And I, I'm not an expert on that, but I think that probably has some bearing in, in the uh, in the time uh, that this took to happen. The question for me becomes, you know, when it's a seller's market again, and there's more job seekers than there are companies, like do job boards go back to the old model and, and pack it in with jobs that are relevant just to keep the, the people that are going to the site happy? I think, you know, employers, uh, VS agencies, they should work somehow together because agencies, they accumulate a lot of experience. They are doing only recruitment, you know, every day for, for years. Employers needs to, you know, have huge HR departments or, but they, they are focused on their business. So their main business is like building cars or buildings or whatever. So I think there is a lot of matching or they, they should work together in, in, in the future or transform their businesses somehow to, to, to make it to the next years. Sounds like RPL. Situation has changed compared to a couple of years ago. I mean, most of the people reaching job boards are coming through Google anyway. So the more content they have on their board, the better. And each hit is a hit. So if we as agencies can deliver them volume, that's okay. The problem is this volume is appearing everywhere. All those, oh, we share our jobs on so many platforms because we do it automatically and uh, they're distributed automatically, etc. So it's kind of littering the database. And now... They can't charge us a lot. They hardly make any money per credit. They sell credits. And we have, let's say, if you buy 10,000 credits, we have one year to, to use them. But um, they can't charge a lot per credit. So they feel the paying customers who really pay a lot per credit because they only take like 10 or 20 credits at a time. Those people, jobs, they get lost in the, in the database. They feel that way. But the problem is if people come through Google, they don't even see the search engine from the specific jobs job board anymore. So I don't think this is the right, right time to do this. My prediction is they will see, again, much like Indeed, they will see revenues rise. Uh, there will be a lot of bitching and whining and tantrums thrown from many of these staffing agencies. The ones who can be self-sufficient, this will push them to be that. But the rest of them will make up from a revenue standpoint where the, the uh, companies that they lose. Although there will be a, a nice little sugar high for the job boards that <laughs> will take staffing companies yes. because they'll see a huge influx of agencies that are like, please take our jobs, please take our jobs. Yeah, we have money to spend. Yeah, about the volumes, actually volumes can be a downside because if they deliver 
a lot of volumes uh, than uh, you know a, uh, agencies or they need to process that uh, that people and here the digital part and the technology will uh, will will help companies otherwise the volumes are actually a downside in a, in my opinion uh, but we've been working for years on not being dependent on job boards we are ready for this it, it was coming Levin, i i think you were you were like top shelf when it comes to that I, so don't don't use yourself as as the example i think many other staffing firms they're still going day to day don't you think yeah but we have we're not one company we are actually 43 brands and most of our brands are ready for this they have been working on this and okay we've been helping them but they have been working on this so there used to be only job boards and the own websites but now there is the own website there are job boards there are several kinds of job boards there's google for jobs then there is social there's linkedin and there is the fourth pillar Kalin, his company, like uh, Dora, the chatbots, which is also a way to reach out to candidates. So we have so many more possibilities than there used to be before, and we don't depend on them anymore. And don't forget about the rise of sourcing tools like Seekout and Hiring Solved and others. That has certainly helped staffing agencies oh, yeah. rely less on job boards. Well, guys, let's take a quick break and we'll talk about four-day weeks in the UK. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Everyone deserves their best job. That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl. All right, guys, this is from Bloomberg uh, this week. The four-day work week is getting a tryout in the UK. Dozens of British companies have volunteered to take part in a pilot program offering four-day work weeks for employees. The six-month trial will include 30 firms that have agreed to allow staff to work up to 32 hours per week without cutting their wages or benefits. Similar trials have taken place in other countries, including Spain, New Zealand, and Iceland. More are scheduled to run in Canada and Australia. This trend is also bleeding into the U.S., with San Francisco-based Bolt instituting a permanent four-day work week for employers last fall. Companies going to four days are said to have employees who are happier, more efficient, and more productive. All right, Iceland and Spain are one thing, but this trend is gaining steam in capitalist strongholds like the U.S. and U.K. Guys, what's going on here? Is this a good thing or a further decline of Western civilization? It's not a further decline of Western civilization. I think it makes sense. I mean... We were talking about automation. If automation enables us to get more work done in less time without losing profit for the company, then it would be kind of evil to fire some people and make the rest work harder just to make more profit. So people feel it. They don't have that much nitty gritty work as they used to. So maybe they can get a serious job done in four days instead of five without losing profit for the company. And then it's win-win. Yeah, I will say that um, it's accepting the truth. I uh, used to help a company about 10 years ago or more, maybe more. They were doing a productivity software and they were selling this software all over, you know, the world, even in the US. And um, this software was like, you know, checking what, how much time you are working. And the uh -huh. average they have was like five hours per day. Basically, <laughs> we work less than uh, four days. <laughs> I think we should, we should try three days, three days a week. He's lobbying yeah. for a two-day work week, I think. Uh, why not? 
Maybe we switch it with the weekend. Yeah. The work week is Saturday and Sunday, and the rest of the time yeah. we get off. Exactly. So in 1926, Henry Ford popularized the 40-hour work week after he discovered through research that working more yielded only a small increase in productivity that lasted for a short period of time. So Ford understood that working someone twice as hard did not produce him twice as many cars. And the world of work has evolved, not because people were breaking their backs or not seeing their families or quitting, but because of productivity. Productivity. That's the key word, productivity. So we took, we, we saw that Microsoft in Japan a couple of years ago tested a four day work week with 2,300 employees. Their productivity jumped 40%. Uh, electricity cost went down 23%, right? They didn't even talk about long-term retention if they carried this pilot forward. We should be focused not on the amount of the hours that we're working, but with the output, right? The actual productivity. And we need to really evolve past these quote unquote hour kind of times. We need goals. We need to look at, you know, projects, timelines, those types of things, uh, and really get rid of this 1920s kind of thought process. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can take a look to France. They are working like 36 hours, <laughs> 36 uh, hours, and they have coffee breaks. And some companies, they have wine breaks. And so, strikes. Uh, they have strikes all the time. Constantly yeah. on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so maybe not that let's part. Let's hold up France <laughs> as the poster child for work productivity. La grève. All right, snowflakes. I'm going to throw a little water, cold water on all this uh, warm and fuzzy talk. So first of all, I'm still waiting for the four-day work week uh, trend to hit the Chad and Cheese podcast, uh, but Chad <laughs> still makes me work on Fridays. Okay. When I was a kid and wouldn't eat my dinner, what did my parents say? Kids in China are starving. Hamburger Helper is the devil, by the way. I don't know if they have that in Europe, uh, but I hated it as a kid. Now... I tell my kids to do their homework because kids in China are studying their asses off. If you're not familiar with the 996 work culture, let me enlighten you, okay? 996 is a work schedule practiced by many companies in the PPC, that's China. In it, employees work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days per week. If my math is correct, that's 72 hours per week. So yeah, keep coddling everybody western countries because while you're while you're watching Tiger King on Netflix with your extra day off, China keeps lapping us around the track. Let's see how that all turns out in 100 years. So so what you're saying is we should just go ahead and kill people uh, with work. I'm saying there's something to be said for work ethic and working harder than other people do. Yeah, but you're tying that to actual times, which I think is total bullshit because I can work harder than most people can in probably a fraction of the time. And I say you were referring to Henry Ford. Now we have Elon Musk, so he's probably going to do something totally different as well. Neural network, baby. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. You said Elon. I'm talking about China. Elon has factories in China. With Levin, it always comes back to Elon. I love him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know the, the guy. He's called Ricardo Semler. He wrote the book, Seven Days Weekend. I don't think he's French. Uh, no, it's Brazilian. Mm. And uh, he was describing a way, you know, uh, he just, you know, he took over the company from his father, uh, was like in the 80s, if I, do, if I remember well. And he introduced this new approach, like people can, uh, you know, 
uh, be at a factory anytime they want, but they need to, you know, finalize a certain number of, you know, parts or they, what they are doing or sell a number of things. And that was about it. They don't, didn't were connected on with time and nothing, just a task. And that's mm-hmm. it. And apparently worked. Some of the facade of this is like, we're at work all the time right? Like we're messaging, we're answering emails. Like how many people really just shut off if they're working a four-day work week? It's interesting. I don't know. I feel like every day is a work day. Yeah. You may not work eight hours every day, but you're always kind of working. All right. Let's talk about uh, Ikea and COVID. Is that still a thing? Holy shit. All right. This is from the BBC. Sweden's Ikea has cut sick pay for unvaccinated staff who need to self-isolate because of COVID exposure and in some cases for workers who test positive. The retail giant acknowledged it was an emotive topic, but said its policy had to evolve with changing circumstances. It comes as firms struggle with mass staff absences and rising costs. Employment lawyer Sarah Ozan warned that lawsuits claiming discrimination of the unvaccinated could be coming down the pike for employers like IKEA. In the U.S., the Supreme Court struck down vaccination mandates from the federal government, and employers like Starbucks, who once embraced mandatory vaccines, are now backing down. Amazon is providing cash incentives for getting a shot. Guys, how does this tug of war unfold in Europe? Do more companies follow IKEA's lead or is there a better strategy? IKEA, I mean, they have balls if they do this right now. Balls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I mean, when, when you look at a you know, personal crisis, they, uh, they, they are doing um, something like that. On the other side, uh, you know, uh, vaccine is, uh, you know, done by, uh, by, you know, scientists. Somehow there we need, we need a balance, but I think it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits against these companies if they follow this and keep it for, for more time. Yeah, the Europeans on the show can speak to this more than Chad Chad and I can. This feels like a litigious nightmare uh, country by country in Europe. Am I wrong about that? Like the whole discrimination of the unvaccinated seems like a total slam dunk for lawyers in, in Europe. Yeah, maybe it's once again a job for a boundless. But um, <laughs> I, it's, it's a really difficult one, but I understand what IKEA is doing. I mean, in many European countries, you only have to stay in quarantine. If you weren't vaccinated and you were put at risk, you came in contact with someone who was, uh, who was ill, then you have to stay at home for seven days. But if you refuse to get vaccine, vaccinated, then you can make kind of a habit out of it, of getting risky contacts and then staying at home for seven days and getting paid. I mean, after a while, I would try to force people into getting vaccinated or looking for another job. But that's definitely my opinion. And I know it's it's a difficult one, but you have to understand the company as well, I feel. Yeah. Vert de Furken. Uh, this sounds really in Swedish to me, but what do I know? Uh, so a little bit of U.S. insight here. Uh, data from the Census Bureau shows that 8.8 million Americans were out sick between December 29th and January 10th due to contracting the coronavirus or looking after someone else who was ill. In addition, 3.2 million didn't go to work because they were afraid of getting the virus, an increase of 25% over December. Look, without a broad government mandate, companies need to decide on whether they implement the carrot or the stick to get workers vaccinated. Americans don't respond really well to the stick when it comes to the vaccine, but whether or not the stick works well in Europe, uh, I'm guessing that's country by country, city by city, et cetera. Um, I'm guessing some European countries will embrace that better than others. 
Uh, companies have tried, I think companies are just tired of lost revenue and unhappy customers and things are coming to a head and Ikea is saying we're using the stick to get people vaccinated. So in the US, in, in tell me, you know, on the Europe side, you guys have mandatory vaccines, right? I mean, we have 16 mandatory vaccines if you want to go to school. MMR is just one of them. And yet we don't have this huge outrage over those 16 mandatory vaccines. And those those vaccines were created back in the horse and buggy days, for God's sakes. When they didn't have um, Fox News. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you're diverting. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. Overall, overall, I mean, it just it, to me, this this sounds so hollow with all of these individuals saying they they don't want to have a mandatory vaccine when they've already taken probably well over a dozen. I, I don't know where the issue is here other than we need to protect our communities. Levin, what's the uh, House of HR policy on vaccines? You have a lot of employees. We don't have an official policy. I mean, it's everyone's choice, but we hope people think about it rationally and make the right decision. I mean, we are into putting people at work and when everyone is ill, we can't put people at work. Yeah. So we prefer people trying to stay healthy at least. So no carrot, no stick. You just employ smart people that get vaccinated. We try to uh, encourage people to um, to do the right thing, but it's a personal decision and we respect it. Or we at least pretend to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, guys, that's another show. I want to thank Kayleen, Colleen. I butchered your name. I don't know how many times uh, this episode. <laughs> but for those who want to know more about you or the company, where would you send them? To our website, happyrecruiter.com. And then from there, they can uh, have a discussion uh, directly with uh, with Dora, just to you know get a feeling how is to talk with a, with a, with a robot. Very nice. And if you want to check out more European goodness, just go to chadcheese.com backslash Europe. Leaving Chad, we, we out. out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.